In the, the, the second week of our, our Advent series, we need a little Christmas. And we're focusing during this time on the idea of how we need this time, these, these four weeks, to allow Jesus to do something inside our hearts, making greater room for him to meet with us. And last week, um, Mike talked about how this, you know, th- that Christmas is meant to be relational. Christmas is about the who. And he talked last week about uh, Rahab and Ruth, David, Bathsheba, Zechariah, and Elizabeth. And we made the point last week that there's, there's not a person who is outside the bounds of what God can do to transform their heart. And there's nothing that you can do to eliminate the possibility of God's grace being activated inside your life. And so this morning, we're going to continue to look at the Christmas story through the lens of another one of the characters of the Christmas story. And, um, you know, I want to first start talking about how, how we learn about historic figures, people that we, we might not have known or, or uh, lived before our time. You know, you watch movies and you read books uh, based on the lives of famous people. And if you watched a movie that was based on a historic character, someone who's important, you you see you only really get a true picture of who that person was if the actor has done their job to make sure they perform the role accurately. And so actors do a lot of research and and developing of their characters. Uh, Daniel Day-Lewis, you might remember, played the role of Abraham Lincoln. And he talked about how he read books, and he looked at pictures. And he finally came up with this voice of how he felt Abraham Lincoln would have spoken. And it was totally different from his voice. And and he would actually speak in that Abraham voice in between takes. He tells a story about a time when he drove back to where he was staying, and and he was having a whole conversation with his buddy as Abraham Lincoln. And then Claire Foy. If you know who that is, she's playing the role of Queen Elizabeth in the Netflix series, The Crown. And Claire talks about how she only ever knew the queen based on what she saw in the news and what she heard. But it wasn't until she started researching her life and digging deep into her past and seeing who she was as a child as she grew up and how she grew into that role of queen that she was really able to develop the character for us to see. And if you're old enough, and I'm certainly not, to remember, uh, in 1962, Patty Duke played the role of Helen Keller. We know who Helen Keller is, was. And she talks about how she would go through full days blindfolded in order to figure out what it was like to go through life as a blind person. Now, I don't know if you're familiar with them or not, but uh, my last example is the famous Andrew Yerkes, who was given the role as a child in nursery school as the innkeeper in the Christmas story. Now, we don't know a whole lot about the innkeeper, and so I was hanging on his every word and his every action. And as he walked to the front of the church, he stood behind a wall and stood like that, leaning on the wall, and he kept his mouth closed. He didn't have a lot to say in the script, the woman who was running the nursery school was a sweet woman, and she had this sweet voice, and she was narrating the story and leading up to his big, shining moment. 
And she talked about how Mary and Joseph approached the inn and knocked on the door. And the innkeeper said, and he stepped out and said, No room for you! And suddenly we all knew how terrible the innkeeper was in the Christmas story. But the truth is that we know very little about this innkeeper, but we connect that phrase, no room, to this imaginary person in the Christmas story. We have this picture instilled in our minds about how this night might have unfolded that starts with Mary and Joseph arriving in a town that would have been bustling with activity because people from all over were coming to the town for the same reasons that they were. And in the midst of all this noise and activity, a clueless innkeeper turns away a pregnant woman and her husband, and they wind up in a stinky barn with animals and hay. Let's take a look at the story. From the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2, the first seven verses. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Crinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. Did you hear the part about the innkeeper? Just because of that one line, no guest room available, some innocent innkeeper in the first century takes the rap for putting Jesus in a stable. Now, I'm not here this morning to debunk the story. But research has proven that this night most likely looked very different. In addition to there being no innkeeper, chances are there was no inn, as we would imagine there to be. The Greek word for inn is kataluma. And this word is used one other time in the Gospel of Luke when Jesus gives, is giving instructions on finding a place for him to have the Last Supper. And in this particular instance, the word is interchangeable with guest room in a house. And so here's a diagram of a a first century house during this time. And you can see that there's three main rooms, kitchen, dining area, which is a common space, sleeping quarters, and the cataluma, or the guest room. And either sometimes below the dwelling or outside behind the dwelling is the stable. And so it was Joseph's hometown. They may have been attempting to stay with relatives as they were coming back to Bethlehem. And they may have shown up to find that the house was full of relatives. I know myself, many of you got the chance to see my in-laws, Wes and Lois Hawk. They were here for 10 days. And they came from Florida. (laughs) And there was no room at the Yerkes Inn. They had to stay somewhere else. We were full up. (laughs) And so very well could be that Mary and Joseph were going to stay with relatives in Bethlehem and there was no place for them. So why do we need an innkeeper? 
Where and when in, in human history did we decide that there must be an innkeeper who inevitably sent them away? But most importantly, what does the innkeeper represent in the Christmas story? Somehow, whenever the story is told or when it's acted out, there's an innkeeper who had too many guests filling up his rooms to allow Mary and Joseph a place to stay. And regardless of of whether it was the innkeeper or one of Joseph's relatives, someone made the choice to give them the next best place to deliver. Considering that diagram of the first century dwelling, there would have been three rooms filled with people sending Jesus to the stable. This one location that was given to the God of the universe in which to enter the world as Jesus. And so today, I want us to consider that maybe we are the innkeeper in the Christmas story. And and that we might compartmentalize Jesus into one part of our lives because there's no room for him in the others. So we ask ourselves, what is filling our lives, allowing no room for Jesus? Think of, think of it as like we're the innkeeper and our lives are the inn. As we look at the first room, we find this the room of distraction. Now, I am certain that uh, if there was an innkeeper and he did have a filled in, there were plenty of people and things distracting him. Some of you might remember years ago, we had here right in this room a dinner. It was called the innkeeper's dinner or something like that. And everyone was invited to a meal, but all of the people who were serving were dressed in biblical characters. And we met the innkeeper and we met his wife. And during the course of the meal, there was a knock at the door, and there was a young couple who was looking for a place to stay, and you can kind of guess how the rest of the night unfolded. Well, at the end of the dinner, um, you were escorted down the side aisle and past the chair closet where a young Bill and Tina Yerkes had been sitting all night waiting to be Mary and Joseph in the stable. And when it came time, you know, shortly before the big reveal, uh, an infant, David White, was brought in for Tina to hold, so we had a real baby. Side note, Tina is allergic to hay. And so when the doors opened, people just thought it was so cool how Tina was so in character that she had tears coming down her face. And really, she was sitting there thinking, we literally were in there the entire meal that night, waiting for this big moment. And so she was filled with issues by the time the doors opened. But life gets busy. Life goes through phases that steal our time. We get involved in things that that take our time away from small groups and fellowships with our, our brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, don't get me wrong. We're in a time right now that is like no other. But I assure you that it's not going to last forever. And life will go back to some sort of normalcy. We will be changed by this particular season of life. Many of us have rethought through our priorities and and find ourselves seeking ways of connecting with family and friends together, but at a distance. What about Jesus? The pandemic never took 
Jesus from us. He's been here the whole time. And he'll be with us when it's gone. And so what has kept Jesus from your room that's filled with distractions? You've heard it said before that anything can become a a God to us. Those things that dominate our thoughts, our time and decisions. Workaholics are real. It's a problem. People who work so much that it keeps them from their family, from their marriage, and sometimes from their relationship with Jesus. Our hobbies, our love for technology can steal hours away from our day without us even realizing it. And dare I say that family sometimes can distract us from Jesus. If it isn't enough that we can be distracted, if we have children who are pulling us in many different directions as parents, we get caught up in their schedules. I have a cousin who had three beautiful daughters, and they decided to try one more time for a boy. And they had twin boys. So that brought their total to five. And they had five children who were all involved in sports, and they were involved in musical activities, and they were in clubs at school. And they they all had tons of things going on, and it got to the point where the grandparents had to step in to help because they couldn't. The kids outnumbered the adults, and they couldn't be everywhere at the same time. And so life was crazy for them for a time. And some of you out there know you're going through this time right now. And so we're challenged not to allow life's distractions to squeeze Jesus out and keep him confined to one area of our lives. And I can't leave the room of distractions without including how sometimes even the work of the church can distract us from Jesus. We could be so caught up in the details of ministry and and doing the doing of this task and that that we forget while we're in ministry in the first place. And it is so important to us as a church that Jesus comes first. And he is the forefront of everything that we do and that we are about the business of changing lives for Christ. Remember that familiar story in Luke where Mary and Martha were hosting a meal for Jesus and Jesus comes into the home and Mary went right to the feet of Jesus. And Martha was so taken back by that, she asked Jesus to say something to her. You know, she should be helping me with the meal. And Jesus said, Martha, Martha, You are so worried and troubled about many things, but one thing is needed, and Mary has chosen it. Mary was sitting at the feet of Jesus, being present with him, worshiping him in her own way. And this is a picture of what we should be doing in the room of distractions. Sometimes we need to lay aside those things and those duties and those other responsibilities to spend time with Jesus. Our imaginary innkeeper could not see Jesus right in front of him. The busyness of his life and, and him had him trapped in this frame of mind that kept him from seeing the need that had to be met. Weary travelers seeking refuge were just too much for him right now. So they'd have to make the best of whatever it is he could offer. You know, another way that we can miss Jesus is when we miss the opportunity to care for those that are in need. We're surrounded by need. 
We live in a, in, a, in a culture, in a society, in a community that seems to get needier by the day because so many lives have been turned upside down. Some are experiencing Christmas for the first time without loved ones. Some will be alone just because there's no other way this Christmas. Many are facing a season with little to no income because of furloughs and layoffs. Whatever the need and wherever it exists, Scripture tells us to treat the need as Jesus. We read in Matthew 25, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and imprisoned, and you did not look after me. A word that I hear connected to the innkeeper a lot is indifferent. If nothing else, he was indifferent to the need of Mary and Joseph and the birth of Jesus. This portion of Matthew addresses what indifference looks like when it applies to the needs around us. And ultimately, when you read the full chapter, you learn how we can't afford to be indifferent to those who are suffering, to those who are lost, and to those who've never heard the name of Jesus or understood the power of his grace. But here in the New Testament, Jesus himself is addressing what it means to show him indifference. And it comes in the form of how we view and treat the needs of others. Now, I think we do a pretty good job of that here at St. John's. But but we can't become complacent and assume that, that needs are being met. And sometimes, especially at this time of the year, we have to trust God to provide for us as we make the choice to provide for others. And maybe even consider new ways of meeting the needs where they exist. Let's move into the next room. Here we find the room of fear and anxiety. Now this is a broad topic because that which brings fear and anxiety is different from person to person. And this year has brought both of those things to people that have never experienced it before. And this time of the year, ordinarily, people get sick. We get the sniffles and we get a cough and we struggle for weeks or days and chalk it up as the common cold or the flu. But this year, it's different. The first sign of sickness and we panic a little bit and and rightfully so. But you know, there's people who are anxious about their health on a regular basis or they're anxious about their financial stability, or their children's future. Couples go through uh, scary times in their marriage where they face uncharted territory, and they try and work through it and hope and pray for the best. Whatever it is that's bringing fear and anxiety into your life, the feeling leaves you uncertain of the future, which can lead to feelings that bad things are going to happen. And ultimately, can lead to depression. I'm not assuming here that everybody who feels fear and anxiety is without Jesus. Remember the analogy that we're using this morning suggests that that we have Jesus, but sometimes we keep him 
compartmentalized in, in one area of our life and we leave them out of certain areas. We leave those areas to, to handle on our own. Well, I assure you that Scripture is filled with characters who went through periods of anxiety and turned their thoughts away from the Lord onto their own troubles. Job, Jonah, David. Read through some of the, the uh, Psalms. Uh, in Psalm 31, Be gracious to me, Lord, for I am in distress. With grief my eyes are wasted. My soul and body are spent. But I trust in you, Lord. I say, you are my God. And then some 30 Psalms later, we hear God's promise. Whoever clings to me, I will deliver. Whoever knows my name, I will set on high. All who call upon me, I will answer. I will be with them in distress. And who can forget the story of when God is ordaining Joshua to follow Moses as leader, and he's reminded of the need to have a courage that comes from being filled with the presence of the Lord. Joshua 1.9, have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Notice that the Scripture speaks directly to the presence of God. His presence provides strength and courage. He needs to be present with us in the room of fear and anxiety. In 2 Timothy 1.7, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Now this is not a quick fix. We're not saying that if you've come this morning with these kind of feelings that, that you can recite these verses and it'll all go away. But we're challenged by these words to consider how much of our fears and how much of our anxieties we've actually given to God. How often have you, have you knelt at his feet and asked him to take those fears and anxieties? When was the last time you invited Jesus into the room of fears and anxieties? And finally, this morning, we move in to the room of sin and guilt. This is the room that we called the guest room. This is the very room referenced in Luke's gospel. This room represents the very reason Jesus came in the first place. This is the room of sin and guilt. It's the place where sometimes life gets heavy, where the pain of sin continues to drag us down and make us feel unworthy. It's the room where guilt causes us to believe Jesus came for everyone else but us. Our past is too, too shady. Our sin is too great. We seem to escape. Uh, we, 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 we can't seem to escape this burden. Maybe the problem is we feel it's too late. Or we're too steeped in recurring sin. And every day we get deeper and deeper and further and further from our redemption. Let me remind you of the story of when Jesus met the woman at the well. And she con he confronted her in her sin in that moment. And he gave her the opportunity that day to choose the Messiah over her sinful life. It's a choice that we're faced with every day, over and over again. In 1 John, we read where he talks about relationships 
and the importance of being in relationship not only with brothers and sisters, but with the one who desires more than anything else to be in relationship with us. And in, in, in chapter 1, verse 9, John says, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He is faithful and he wants to forgive us and he wants us to be able to forgive others. And when we come to a place where we understand his faithfulness to forgive, we need to be able to forgive ourselves. That might be the toughest part. But this is where we need to be reminded that Christmas represents the beginning of the new covenant. And it's the, co- the, the, the covenant that's talked about in Hebrews 8 where we learn, from, uh, uh, learn how this personal and, and transformational new covenant would be. Because of Jesus, God says, for I will forgive their wickedness and I will remember their sins no more. And so with no guest room available, Jesus would be born in a cattle stall. Don't get me wrong. This is exactly how God intended it to be. But a short-tempered, short-sighted, and short on better ideas innkeeper says, this stable is the best I can do. Let me ask you this morning, where is Jesus in your life today? How much of your life have you given him? I read somewhere that a preacher once said that if the innkeeper had allowed Mary and Joseph to stay there that night, that he could have advertised for years to come, Jesus slept here. Jesus may have come to live temporarily among us, but he desires to live eternally within us. So where is Jesus in your life today? Have you given it all to him? Have you given it all for him? You know, what is most important about the last line of Scripture that we read this morning? She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them is the fact that Jesus was born. Regardless of the circumstances surrounding his delivery in the stable, God's divine plan for becoming one of us came to fruition in a stable in a feeding trough where animals would get their food. God encountered the world in an unlikely place with unlikely circumstances, and that is exactly how God works. History has placed an innkeeper in the story, I believe, because it is easier to assume that human ignorance put Jesus in the stable than to trust God would have chosen to enter the world there. When Jesus came from the womb, he was wrapped in strips of cloth, swaddling clothes. And when he was placed in the tomb, he was wrapped in cloth. When there was no room for Jesus to be born, he was placed in a feeding trough, most likely made of wood. When there was no room for Jesus in this world, he was nailed to a wooden cross. We need a little Christmas so that we can make greater room for Jesus to meet us. Christmas is personal. Christmas is meant to be a time to remember that God came to earth to dwell among us temporarily so that we could live one day with him eternally. 
And so what does your in look like this morning? Have you compartmentalized Jesus into one area and kept him out of the rest? My question this morning is, what will it take to fill your in with Jesus? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time of the year. We thank you for this opportunity that we come with hearts of celebration, that we come with hearts of expectation, that this is the time of of year that is joyous for us. Even in the midst of unusual circumstances, we still find joy in this time. And so, Lord, help us to have the opportunity during these weeks to focus on where that joy really comes from, to focus on what it's all about, and to dig deeper into our own lives, to find those places where we've not allowed you to dwell. Those things that we hang on to that we think that that we can handle on our own, that we can deal with on our own, and you're just waiting patiently for us to give them to you. Lord, I pray this morning, that there be somebody here who, who maybe has come struggling with one of these things, that they'd be able to give it to you, that they would be able to leave this morning feeling the burden lifted, knowing that you've just been waiting to take it from them. Father God, now as we take the opportunity to share in the Lord's Supper, don't let it be something that's just a ritual that happens once a month. But Lord, maybe today it's more meaningful than it's ever been as we recognize our need for the blood of the Lamb to cleanse us, to purify us, and to make us one of your own. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen.